You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Diplomacy continues over the Russian threat to Ukraine. In the meantime, hacktivists and others are said to be receiving crowdfunding through altcoin remittances. The mole rats are back and they have some new tools. Right to left override is being seen again in the wild. Vodafone Portugal is taken offline by a cyber attack. Joe Kerrigan on Meta's $10 billion privacy hit. Our guest is Greg Otto from Intel 471 to discuss chips in ransomware strains. And two arrests are made in a money laundering case connected with the Bitfinex hack. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 8th. 2022. There have been no striking developments in reporting on the cyber aspects of Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine since Microsoft's descriptions of Actinium's cyber espionage campaign. But governments around the world remain on alert for a resumption of cyber war that could spill over outside the theater of operations. Diplomacy has taken center stage, but there are interesting signs of altcoin remittances funding Ukrainian equipment, a prospective resistance and ongoing hacktivism. French President Macron is in Kiev today for talks with his Ukrainian counterpart, President Zelensky, He left Moscow yesterday, the AP reports, saying that he'd received assurances from Russia's President Putin that Russia would neither escalate the conflict nor station troops permanently in Belarus. It's tempting to see the French and American governments as taking a good cop, bad cop approach to influencing Russia, with Mr. Biden cast as Starsky, Major Macron as Hutch, and Putin as the perp. But there's substantial agreement within NATO that Russian aggression against Ukraine needs to be, if not prevented, at least resisted. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said, shortly before meeting U.S. President Biden yesterday, that NATO's response to Russian aggression would be united and decisive. President Biden said that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline wouldn't be permitted to go through if Russia moved on Ukraine, the New York Times reports. Chancellor Schultz suggested that Nord Stream 2 could indeed be held at risk, but he counseled more strategic ambiguity over the pipeline. This presumably would not only serve deterrence, but might also lead to a face-saving formula that would help Russia back down from an untenable position without more humiliation than is necessary. The sanctions under preparation, of which an interruption of Nord Stream 2 would be a part, 
are expected to impose severe, painful costs on Russia's economy and society should they be imposed. One complication any Russian invasion of Ukraine would face, especially if Moscow's troops were to be there for the long haul, is the likelihood of a Ukrainian resistance movement. Kiev has already begun to organize more than 100,000 civilians into a reserve militia, capable, in principle at least, of functioning as irregular resistance forces. Retired U.S. Admiral James Stavridis writes in a Bloomberg op-ed that a Ukrainian resistance is likely and merits Western support. Some of that support has been crowdfunded. The blockchain analysis and cryptocurrency compliance firm Elliptic says that altcoin contributions to Ukrainian groups, official or unofficial, rose 900% in 2021, reaching a total of $500,000 for the year and continuing into 2022. Whatever altcoin's debatable promise as an investment might be, its value in delivering difficult-to-trace remittances across borders has been clear for years. Some of the contributions have gone to hacktivist groups like the Ukrainian Cyber Alliance. Elliptic notes that the donations have been going on at a small level since Russia's 2014 seizure of Ukraine and increasing dramatically with rising tension over the Donbass. Quote, Shortly afterwards, Russia seized Crimea and triggered a war in the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine. After decades of corruption and neglect, the Ukrainian military could not cope and again volunteer groups stepped in. They provided soldiers, weapons, and medical supplies to fill the gap. These groups are funded by private donors who have used bank wires and payment apps to donate millions of dollars. Bitcoin has also emerged as an important alternative funding method, allowing international donors to bypass financial institutions that are blocking payments to these groups. End quote. It's not the only kind of funding, but it's increasingly popular, and it's not only non-governmental organizations who benefit, and it's not only private donors who can move funds in cryptocurrency. Quote, For most of the fundraising campaigns examined in our investigation, cryptocurrencies represented a small proportion of the funds received, the majority of donations were received through traditional payment methods, such as bank wires and online payment services. However, cryptocurrency has proved to be a robust and increasingly popular alternative. In some cases, we found that financial institutions had closed accounts belonging to these fundraising campaigns. This cannot happen with a crypto wallet. Cryptocurrency is also particularly suited to cross-border donations, allowing easier access to wealthy overseas donors. Some of the Ukrainian volunteer groups and NGOs accepting crypto donations have very close links to the Ukrainian government, and this adds to a trend of nation-states turning to cryptocurrency as a means of raising funds. Iran is using Bitcoin mining as a way to monetize its energy reserves, while North Korea is believed to be stealing cryptocurrency to support its missile development program. End quote. Should kinetic war turn irregular, watch the blockchains for insight into both sides' logistics. Proofpoint this morning released a report on a Palestinian-aligned group that's using a new and, in this context, unusually complex attack chain. The researchers track the activity to the long-familiar mole rats threat group. The mole rats are using a new implant, Nimble Mamba, for command and control and data exfiltration. Nimble Mamba replaces LastCon, which itself was an evolved version of SharpStage. Quote, Proofpoint assesses Nimble Mamba is actively being developed, is well-maintained, 
and designed for use in highly targeted intelligence collection campaigns. End quote. Nimble Mamba executes with guardrails, that is, in a discriminating fashion, targeting systems only in Israel, Iran, or Arabic-speaking countries in the Middle East and North Africa. Right-to-left override is an old attack technique going back at least 20 years, but VADE has observed an increase in its use. At least 200 attacks using the tactic have been seen over the past two weeks. The technique uses a non-printing Unicode character to shift the order in which subsequent characters are read. It's employed to dupe users into executing files with hidden extensions. Vodafone Portugal said this morning that it was hit last night by an unspecified attack that was intended to cause damage and disruption. Services are being restored. The company hasn't attributed the incident to ransomware, but the record reports widespread internet rumors based apparently on a priori possibility and other recent incidents in Portugal that that's what the attack was. The Lapsus ransomware gang, which has been blamed for earlier attacks against media outlets Impressa and Cofina, hasn't claimed credit for the incident. As we noted, in the context of the crowdfunding of insurgencies and resistance movements, the difficulty of tracing cryptocurrencies' movement. But difficult, of course, isn't the same thing as impossible, as two arrests in Manhattan demonstrate. The U.S. Department of Justice announced today that, quote, two individuals were arrested this morning in Manhattan for an alleged conspiracy to launder cryptocurrency that was stolen during the 2016 hack of Bitfinex, a virtual currency exchange presently valued at approximately $4.5 billion. The two accused, Ilya Lichtenstein and his wife Heather Morgan, are both New Yorkers, and they're making their first appearance in court this afternoon. The complaint against them alleges that they used a variety of tools in their attempt to launder the money, some old school like passing funds through business accounts, Others, more 21st century, including the assumption of fictitious identities, automated transfers, chain hopping, and passing of funds into and out of a variety of dark web accounts. The Justice Department wants to make the point that altcoin is not only in principle traceable, but recoverable as well. In the Binance case, for example, the announcement says, quote, Thus far, law enforcement has seized over $3.6 billion in cryptocurrency linked to that hack. End quote. A money laundering conspiracy beef, Justice says, carries a possible sentence of up to 20 years. But, they caution, the accused are entitled to the presumption of innocence until they're convicted beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. 
In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. The team at security firm Intel 471 recently published research tracking what they describe as a reset of ransomware. There's no sign of ransomware attacks slowing down, but there have been measurable shifts within the ecosystem of ransomware operators. Greg Otto is senior cybercrime reporter for Intel 471. 2021 was a pretty banner year for ransomware. Obviously, uh, the big tentpole moment was I would even say moments, moments plural, the colonial pipeline attack and the attack on JBS as well. And we saw afterwards that the uh, groups responsible for that said that they were going to go dark. And the underground forums where uh, a lot of these actors operate had a shift where they decided that they weren't going to let ransomware actors advertise on their platforms. So over a period in the third quarter of 2021, what we looked at were uh, the ransomware attacks that we could witness and measure. And we found that the most prevalent variants from July to September 2021 were Lockbit 2.0, Conti, Black Matter, and Hive. And they made up 60% of the attacks that we measured. Uh, one in particular, particularly Lockbit 2.0, they were responsible for one-third of the uh, observed attacks hmm. that uh, we ended up measuring. And to be clear, we're not talking about 30 or 40 attacks here. We witnessed over 600 attacks in the time span from July 2021 to September 2021. So you know, you're talking 33% of 600. You're talking about ballpark 200, 210 attacks that Lockbit 2.0 themselves were responsible for. Can we go through and kind of compare and contrast these groups? I mean, you mentioned Lockbit 2.0, Conti, Black Matter, and Hive. What do they have in common and how do they set themselves apart from each other? So I think what they have in common is they really do follow what we really saw as a trend in uh, 2021 and maybe even going back even further back is that, you know, these ransomware as a service 
crews do not operate in a silo. And in order to pull off a ransomware attack, there are a lot of other things in an attack structure that need to happen. And each of them almost has their like separate sub-business Almost, uh, you're talking about a lot of people that operate on the cyber crime underground forums, forums that I'm sure people are familiar with, like Exploit and XSS. Those are two examples, but there are a couple others where everybody will advertise their wares. If you're into these forums, uh, you know, you, you advertise your, your services, whether uh, uh, it's any part of a ransomware attack, whether it's access brokers selling access to companies that have been hit, crypto services, uh, encryption services that can allow for uh, attacks to be carried out, escrow services where money can change hands to make sure that uh, you know there's uh, a guarantee that uh, everybody is uh, keeping their end of the bargain, so to speak, when it comes to ransomware attacks. A lot of these groups that we're talking about follow that protocol when it comes to these ransomware attacks. And then also, once the attacks have taken hold, you'll see a lot of the same operational uh, tactics in terms of like what we call like double extortion attacks, where it's, okay, not only have we locked everything up inside an organization, we've uh, stolen some data and we're going to dump this data on our hack and leak blogs. We've seen that with a lot of these crews where, okay, if a organization that has been ransomed isn't going to play ball, okay, we're going to take the data that we exfilled and we're going to put it up on these, quote, name and shame blogs where it's, hey, okay, if you don't want to play ball with us, we're going to take all of this data and dump it out onto the internet. Maybe your competitors are going to see it. Maybe your stock price gets shorted. Uh, we're going to cause you some damage uh, elsewhere outside of just, you know, locking up your business operations. And then we've even seen some of them go to what we call now a triple extortion, where on top of the, the two things that I mentioned there, we now have where these crews will harass either customers or harass other people inside the business where they might actually pick up the phone and say, hey, if you don't pay, we're going to make uh, your lives uh, a living hell where it's actually to the point where you're talking about physical threats or you know, you, you're talking about scaring third parties that a business does business with you know, from a B2B standpoint and it, it, they threaten, okay, well, you know, if company X isn't playing ball, uh, you know, we have your contact information company Y. maybe you're next and um, trying to basically through all of these extortion schemes scare the first uh, company or organization that was attacked into paying the ransoms so we're seeing this consistently throughout ransomware as a service where they are going above and beyond to try to do whatever they can in order to see these organizations that are hit pay up that's Greg Otto from Intel 471 And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. You know, one of the things that we track over on Hacking Humans is uh, social media. And uh -huh. uh, uh, one of the big social media companies has had not a great week <laughs> well, or a great time lately. What, what, what's going on here, Joe? It depends on how you define a great time. Uh, okay. Facebook released earnings recently, and their big complaint is that they stand to lose $10 billion this year due to a change that Apple made on the iPhone. So back in April of 2021, Apple enabled iPhone users 
to choose which apps get to track their behavior by requiring that users opt in to sharing their Apple ad ID. So when this came out, Facebook said, oh, this is really going to be detrimental to the Facebook experience, Mm -hmm. which I guess (laughs) means the experience of, of getting revenue, because I don't see how this actually impacts the <laughs> Facebook experience itself. The experience of having targeted ads right. put in front of you. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, because really, Facebook gets to track everything you do on their platform, right? There's there's nothing Apple can do to stop that from happening. When Facebook doesn't have access to this ID, they can't get access to your other behaviors, Right. And that's what mm-hmm. Facebook is is um, is upset about, and they say it's going to cost them uh, ten billion dollars in revenue. So top line of the uh, of the income statements, right? Well, that sounds like a lot of money to me. Ten, sure, ten billion sound. dollars. We're talking about real money. Yeah, you know, their annual revenue was. Uh, I was looking at the report. It was like almost one hundred eighteen million billion dollars. Almost one hundred eighteen billion dollars in revenue, and. Uh, because of this one change in privacy, they're standing to lose about. Uh, about $10, $10 billion. Now, I'm not a Facebook shareholder. Uh, I also don't work at Facebook. I don't own anything. I have no no vested interest in Facebook. But I think this is worth $10 billion. Pri- uh, the, the privacy of Apple users is well worth $10 billion in Facebook's revenue. And, you know, Facebook's uh, stock price certainly took a, a huge hit. I have they seen did. people saying it was the, the biggest hit in stock market history, the biggest loss in value of any company in stock market history and uh, in this one could day affect their, because I yeah, think, okay. Yeah. It's like $213 billion, something like that. They lost in value. It was, it was, it was big. Well, markets, markets tend to run on, on fear and greed. And when fear comes into play, stock prices crash and that might be irrational. So, I mean, I'm not giving out investment advice. So read into that what you think. Yeah. Well, but I think, um, what I've seen some folks pointing out is that uh, Facebook is so reliant on advertising for their revenue right. that uh, perhaps some investors are seeing a, a lack of revenue diversity on their part. Uh, and the fact, combine that with the fact that Facebook is is uh, n- isn't not growing. This was the first quarter, I believe, where they did not have growth of users of the platform. That uh, those combinations. Uh, led to some skepticism from the investors and a big hit on their stock price. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know, um, you know, their, their growth looking forward, they definitely want to get into other products. They This whole idea of the metaverse, you know, the um, uh, virtual environment, I, you know, I have absolutely no interest in, in participating in that with Facebook. I would love to participate in that with uh, with other companies that might be able to build it, like maybe uh, Steam or Valve Software is building something like that that is similar and has other virtual reality things. But I was, you know, when when Facebook bought Oculus, I thought, you know, there goes my wanting an Oculus. I don't want that anymore. I, I would much rather do this with a company who uh, has other interests rather than uh, targeting me with ads. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, that how much uh – investors are 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 able to overlook when it comes to criticism of a company as long as that company is still printing money quarter after quarter right, right, and, then, right. and then when when the when the money you know slows down or the growth slows down all of a sudden there's more of an emphasis on uh the actual operational foundation the values of the company and uh I guess not surprising perhaps a little disappointing but uh that may be what's playing out here yeah it may be it may be yeah 
take a look at the stock price. Uh, it, it, it did take a big hit. Uh, you know, I, I have never been a Facebook shareholder because I've had concerns about it. I, I just can't bring myself to buy that company. <laughs> oh, and that's fine. You know, right. say, hey, you know, yeah, invest in companies you believe in. Uh, I think that should be part of the equation. Uh, this this episode of uh, financial advice from Joe and Dave, <laughs> right. two, two people who know nothing about finance, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. do not take our advice on finance. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Balecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.